And welcome to tonight's Zoomcast on Isaiah's Prophecy, chapters 4 through 5, All is Not Well in Zion. First, in 3 Nephi, <clears throat> chapter 23, starting in verse 1. And now behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things. Yet commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently. For great are the words of Isaiah. For surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore, it must needs be that he must also, that he must speak also to the Gentiles or members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And all things that he spake have been and shall be, even according to the words which he spake. The reason that we're going over the chapters of Isaiah on these Zoom casts is because we have uh, direct counsel from Jesus Christ to study Isaiah's words, and studying would indicate that we should understand them. Because Isaiah's book is primarily a book of prophecy in which he uses historical precedent as end-time metaphor. And all of the things that Isaiah prophesied must be fulfilled in our generation. Because it's this generation which will herald in the return of Jesus Christ in his glory. Isaiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. You know, actually, we will briefly recap. Um, a few verses from last week. So we'll start in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 17. And again, I'm reading from the Isaiah Institute translation of Isaiah, verse 17. <clears throat> My Lord will, affl- will afflict the scalps of the women of Zion with baldness. Jehovah will expose their private parts. And instead of perfume, there shall be a stench. Instead of a girdle, a piece of twine. Instead of a corfir, baldness, instead of festive dress, a loincloth of burlap. For in place of beauty, there shall be ignominy. Your men shall be felled by the sword, your might overthrown in war. Now, the sword being a metaphor for the king of Assyria. Her gateway shall be bereaved and forlorn. She shall sit on the ground destitute. So this is the general condition of God's people who will not repent and return and enter into the covenant that he extends to them. And with this as a background, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1. Seven women will take hold of one man in that day and say, we will eat our own food wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. In that day that the plant of Jehovah shall be beautiful and glorious, and the earth's fruit, the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. So as a juxtaposition against the destruction of God's covenant people who refuse to enter into covenant with him, we have those of God's people who will not only enter into, but live the covenants 
that Christ extends to them. Now, in that day, the plant of Jehovah shall be beautiful and glorious. Plant here being a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant, you know, and also for <coughs> God's people who enter into covenant with him. They shall be the survivors of Israel. Israel denotes God's covenant people who have not yet repented and returned. Zion to Jerusalem, denoting God's covenant people who do repent and return and enter into covenant with them. Now, the covenant that Christ extends to his people is contained in 3 Nephi chapter 9. And we oft read this, but it can never be read too much. Verse 20. And ye shall offer as a, for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. This is the new covenant in the Book of Mormon. And a covenant <coughs> with God is comprised of two parts. There's the, there's the oath that man makes to God and the oath that God makes back to man. So the new and everlasting covenant, the oath that man makes to God is to offer up as a sacrifice, a broken heart and contrite spirit. And at a bare minimum, that means placing everything upon the altar. And specifically, it means seeking after and receiving by revelation that which God would have us do individually to offer up that sacrifice unto him. <clears throat> and when we do, he makes an oath back to us that he will baptize us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And as is referred to in verse 17 of 3 Nephi chapter 9, and as many as have received me and the instruction about how to receive Christ is to offer up that sacrifice. To them have I given to become the sons of God. So the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is a formal adoption ceremony, whereby we become sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And it's only after we demonstrate that we not only draw near to him with our lips, but also with our hearts, that he then pleads our case before Father. And once he receives permission from Father, to adopt us as sons or daughters, then is the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, authorized to be performed, and we receive sonship and daughtership. So in that day, um, this is the day of the Lord, <clears throat> the day where judgment begins to be poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth, and also in which the heavens are again opened by the end-time servant, and it becomes possible again to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which it hasn't been possible to receive since the time of Joseph Smith's first ministry, when we had an open dispensation. And, and so we have the illusion that not only is the end-time servant entering into covenant with his God, 
but also God's covenant people who repent and return also enter into covenant with him. And like the servant are endowed with power, even the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. So in that day, the plant of Jehovah shall be beautiful and glorious and the earth's fruit, the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Again, survivors denotes that the earth is going into bondage and that even God's covenant people who do repent and return will go into bondage for a period of time, but they will be delivered. The Lord will deliver them and they will survive. Now, in DNC 45... Verses 56 through 57, we have the interpretation of the parable of the ten virgins. And it's the wise virgins that are these plants of Jehovah and the earth's fruit. Verse 56, and at that day, The same day that verse 2 begins with, in that day. And at that day, when I shall come in my glory. Now, this isn't talking about the 24-hour period um, in which Christ comes in his glory. It is that day when the work of destruction of the wicked commences and the end time servant opens the heavens at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled, which I spake concerning the 10 virgins for they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy spirit for their guide and have not been deceived. Verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. So what separates wise from foolish? The wise are not only good, which gets them to the virgin category, but they graduate from foolish to wise by taking the Holy Spirit as their guide. Therefore, they find the truth and are not deceived. And that is precisely what we must do. And that is exactly how one seeks after and receives the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. To take this Holy Spirit as our guide, to hearken unto the voice of the Spirit, to ask and to knock and to obey. That's what it means to take the Holy Spirit as our guide. Therefore, we find the truth and are not deceived. Because the voice of the Spirit cannot lead us into error. It will not lead us into deception. Otherwise, there would be no way possible to be able to have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've heard it alluded that some you know, believe that depending on one's spiritual level of ascension, the spirit can actually lead them to do the wrong thing. However, this is not true doctrine. DNC 84. Again, on the subject of what it means for God's people to enter into covenant with him. 
to go from the foolish virgin to the wise virgin category. <clears throat> Verse 23 in DNC 84. Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. Now, what did Moses diligently seek to teach his people to prepare them to behold God's face, which means more than just to see him in vision or to have him come down here. It means to enter into the rest of the Lord. Well, he taught, he sought to teach them the new and everlasting covenant, just as every prophet since the days of Adam until Joseph Smith have sought to do to teach the new and everlasting covenant, even the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit to receive the endowment of power, which is the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy ghost, that God's people might be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into his rest, not in the next life, in this life. Verse 24, but they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore, the Lord, <clears throat> the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. So this is the opportunity of God's people in every generation in which there's an open dispensation to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ, which rest is the fullness of his glory in this life. But that can only happen by entering into the new and everlasting covenant, offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then when one does receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, Let's go to 2 Nephi chapter 32. So after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, verse 3. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. So this feasting upon the words of Christ is what we must do after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, to be instructed about what is required of us to enter into the rest of the Lord. Now, this is also stated in slightly different words in DNC 76, where after verse 52, which is the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, <clears throat> we're told, and those who overcome by faith, <clears throat> this overcoming by faith means the same thing as feasting upon the words of Christ for faith is not to have belief and trust for that is hope, but faith is to seek after receive and act on revelation. Feasting upon the words of Christ means to seek after and receive revelation and also to hearken unto the revelation that we receive. So the, <clears throat> precisely the same thing as overcoming by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. Or in other words, back in 2 Nephi 32, verse 6, after we feast upon the words of Christ or overcome by faith, after receiving the baptism of our baptism of the Holy Ghost, behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. And there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall ye observe to do. 
Well, this is the same thing as being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which does not happen on this earth. And it doesn't happen in vision. This only happens by entering into the rest of the Lord, which remember is exactly what Moses sought diligently to do with the children of Israel, even though they would not. Now, again, if we go to JST Matthew 21, verse 55. And when the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, Christ has been speaking to his 12 apostles. And here he's speaking about the end times after the restoration of the gospel under Joseph Smith in his first ministry. Um, what will happen to both leadership and membership leadership in verse 55 membership in verse 56 and when the lord thereof of the vineyard cometh he will destroy those miserable wicked men and will let again his vineyard unto other husbandmen even in the last days who shall render him the fruits in their seasons well rendering christ the fruits in their seasons has direct reference to that these other husbandmen um are those referred to in DNC 101, verse 55, which talks about the return of Joseph Smith and the first labors in the last kingdom who qualify with him to open again the heavens and gather out the strength of the Lord's house. And they gather out the strength of the Lord's house um, by declaring the doctrine of Christ, the new and everlasting covenant and baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, Verse 55, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, and as we read in DNC 103, it's Joseph Smith in his return. Go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of mine house, which are my warriors, my young men. They that are of middle age also among all my servants, who are the strength of mine house, save only those whom I have appointed to tarry. Will we become the strength of the Lord's house by entering into the new and everlasting covenant and seeking after? And in the Lord's own time, in the Lord's own way, receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Um, our job is to enter into the new covenant, receive and offer up our broken hearts and contrite spirits. And whether we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost now, or around the time of the beginning of the Exodus, or on the Exodus, it doesn't matter. For... Our job is to enter into the new covenant. And as we enter into the new covenant, even before the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we can be seeking after and receiving the multitude of gifts of the Spirit, which we're going to be focusing on at the end of this meeting. Verse 3 in Isaiah chapter 4. Then shall they who are left in Zion and they who remain in Jerusalem be called holy. Well, <clears throat> those who are left are those who have entered into covenant with him. They are the strength of the Lord's house. Those who take the Holy Spirit as their guide, therefore they find the truth and are not deceived. All who were inscribed to be among the living at Jerusalem. Again, we have... 
this idea that there is going to be widespread destruction and that, you know, these people not only qualify for deliverance from destruction, but also from bondage and that the Lord takes care of and provides for them. Verse four, this shall be when my Lord has washed away the excrement of the women of Zion and cleansed Jerusalem of its bloodshed, which is the sin of the men. So when the men and women who will not enter into covenant with God, and this is the Jacob Israel level, um, there is a coming separation between wheat and tares among God's people. You know, as talked about in DNC 101. Verses 64 through 66, that the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue, that I may build them up unto my name upon holy places for the time of harvest is come and my word must needs be fulfilled. Therefore, (coughs) I must gather together my people according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life and crowned with celestial glory when I shall come in the kingdom of my father to reward every man according as his work shall be, while the tares shall be bound in bundles their bands made strong that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. This separation of wheat and tares is the very thing that Isaiah has been talking about at the end of Isaiah three, um, where the men shall be felled by the sword, which is the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, um, the, the women who will not enter into that covenant um, at a bare minimum encounter great hardship and devastation. But those who wait upon the Lord, men and women qualify for deliverance from destruction and from bondage and from severe deprivation. This shall be when my Lord has washed away the excrement of the women of Zion, and cleanse Jerusalem of its bloodshed in the spirit of justice by a burning wind. So we either qualify for justice or mercy. If we qualify for justice, we qualify for destruction. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, Father, what must I do to qualify as the strength of thy house? that in the days that are coming, I might qualify for mercy and not for justice. And this justice is meted out by the end of verse four, by a burning wind. Now, the burning wind is a metaphor for the destructive power of a king of Assyria, king of Babylon, who is allowed by the Lord to destroy the wicked. And among the Lord's people, that means those who will not accept and enter into the covenant that he extends to them, which would save them and allow them to become sons and daughters. Verse five, over the whole site of Mount Zion and over its solemn assemblies, Jehovah will form a cloud by day and a mist glowing with fire by night. Above all that is glorious shall be a canopy. Cross-reference, DNC 103. Now, 
Verse 5 has direct reference to the end-time exodus and the establishment of New Jerusalem. So over the whole site of Mount Zion, which is New Jerusalem, and over its solemn assemblies, um, those who are making their way there on end-time exoduses, Jehovah will form a cloud by day and a mist glowing with fire by night. Well, what does this mean? If we start in DNC 103 in verse 15, behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Well, and this is the culmination of the redemption of Zion, the establishment of new Jerusalem and this seemingly mysterious phrase, Jehovah will form a cloud by day and a mist glowing with fire by night. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham. And ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. Okay, led out of bondage. This is God's covenant people who do repent and return. They are in a state of bondage, but will be led out on the eve of destruction by power, a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant and stretched out arm. Also an Isaiah metaphor appearing in DNC 103 um, for the Lord's end time servant as used in Isaiah. And as your fathers were led at first, at the first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be meaning that Even as Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage from Egypt, so shall in the end times God's servant, Joseph Smith, lead God's elect out of bondage into the wilderness and eventually to establish new Jerusalem. Therefore, let not your hearts faint. For I say not unto you, as I said unto your fathers, mine angel shall go up before you but not my presence. Well, again, talking about the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt, the angel that went up before them was Moses, having been ordained and sealed to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood, thus having power to command the elements. But my presence did not go up before them. Or in other words, as we read in DNC 84, that Moses sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God or that God's presence might go before them. But instead they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore the Lord God in his wrath swore that they should not enter into his rest. while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory, meaning that the children of Israel had the opportunity to have an ascension experience just as Moses had, as detailed in Moses chapter 1, to go up to the high mountain, but not an earthly mountain, the heavenly mountain, and enter into the rest of the Lord. But they would not. And it was the same with the Latter-day Saints under Joseph Smith in his first ministry. They had the opportunity to do exactly what Joseph had done, but they would not. However, in Joseph's second ministry, with the return of the servant, the qualification level to go on that exodus is the offering of a sacrifice of broken heart and contrite spirit, which ultimately will lead a man or woman to the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and to enter into the rest of the Lord. And so it says in verse 20 in DNC 103, 
But I say unto you, mine angels, plural, meaning Joseph Smith Jr. and the 144,000 who will be ministering to the elect on the end time exodus to help them make the next ascension into the presence of Christ in his glory. Mine angel shall go up before you and also my presence. So my presence going up before you does not mean that Christ will literally come down and walk with his people to establish new Jerusalem, but it does mean on his people's walk as they go to establish new Jerusalem. To whom I liken the servant, to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I have given unto you. If we go to Second Nephi. Chapter 31, verse 17. Wherefore do the things which I have told you that I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do. So this is what is required of us to enter into the new covenant to be qualified as the strength of the Lord's house that we might make it on the end time exodus. For for this cause have they been shown unto me that ye might know the gate by which you should enter. For the gate by which you should enter is repentance and baptism by water. And then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And then are ye in this straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life. Yea, ye have entered in by the gate. Ye have done according to the commandments of the Father and the Son. And ye have received the Holy Ghost which witnesses of the Father and the Son unto the fulfilling of the promise which he hath made, that if he entered in by the way, he should receive. So the gate through which we must pass to get on the straight and narrow path that leads to the tree, who is Christ, to partake of the fruit, which is exaltation, is repentance, baptism of water, and a fire and of the Holy Ghost. And until we do that, we aren't on that path which leads to the tree. However, there is a preliminary path, and it's described in verse 19, and it's how we get to the gate. And it's what we must do to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And now, my beloved brethren, after you have gotten into the straight and narrow path or received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, nay. For ye have not come thus far, or you haven't received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, save it were by the word of Christ. With unshaken faith in him. And remember, unshaken faith in him is not to be confused with hope, which is belief and trust, which we must have. But it is with unshaken seeking after receiving and acting on revelation 
That is how we qualify for the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. Now, this relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save is what hope is. So we must combine hope with faith to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Then we pass through the gate. We're on that straight, narrow path that leads to the tree who is Christ. The iron rod is that revelation or words of Christ that are placed into our hearts. And holding upon to the iron rod and going forward is hearkening to the voice of the Spirit, being obedient to that revelation that we are then given to be instructed in all things, including parting the veil and entering into the rest of the Lord that we might be taught directly by Jesus Christ. So, verse 5 again in Isaiah. Over the whole site of Mount Zion, or New Jerusalem, and over the solemn assembly, the exodus and ensuing exoduses that will lead back there once it is established. Jehovah will form a cloud by day and a mist of glowing fire by night. Or in other words, the 144,000 will be working with the elect on the exoduses to assist them in entering into the rest of the Lord, that they might become a member of the church of the firstborn, coming into the presence of Jesus Christ in his glory, which is the cloud by day and a mist of glowing fire by night, that they might have their callings and elections made sure um, and become what DNC 76 verse 53 calls those who are just and true. Above all that is glorious shall be a canopy. And that is that endowment of entering into the rest of the Lord. Verse six, it shall be a shelter and a shade from the heat. The heat of that day is the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon both military and famine and natural disaster and plague and disease. A secret refuge from the downpour and from the rain. Again, um, another allusion to the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and that God will deliver and take care of his people. Isaiah chapter 5. Verse 1, let me sing for my beloved a love song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile brow of a hill. Now, you know, the, the beloved is Jesus Christ. Verse 2, he cultivated it, clearing it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in its midst and hewed for it a wine press as well. Then he expected it to yield grapes, but it produced wild grapes. Now we have many allegories and parables of uh, vineyards and good fruit in the scriptures and, and in almost every single one of them, bringing forth good fruit means the extension of the new covenant to God's people, 
and they're entering into it and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism, Holy Ghost. So Christ brought forth the fullness of his gospel through Joseph Smith's first ministry and offered to his people that they might become his sons and daughters and that he might become their God. But they rejected his offer. And in so doing, they rejected their God. And so instead of bringing forth um, good grapes, they produced wild grapes. But Jesus Christ extends his hand a second time to recover his people, all those who are willing to bring forth good fruit. Verse 3. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you men of Judea, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it produce wild grapes? Let's go to DNC 101. And in the parable of redemption of Zion, we have the very condition being set up that is being talked about here in Isaiah. Verse 43. And now I will show unto you a parable that you may know my will concerning the redemption of Zion. Now, implicit in verse 43 are three things. One, that Zion would be established during Joseph Smith's first ministry. Now, do you have to redeem something that hasn't fallen or been ransomed? Therefore, that Zion would fall. And third, that Zion would be redeemed. A certain nobleman, who is the Lord, had a spot of land very choice, North America, and said unto his servants, Joseph Smith and those called in DNC 88, the first labors in the last kingdom, go ye unto my vineyard, the restoration of the gospel, and my saints. Even upon this very choice piece of land and plant 12 olive trees, um, the beginning of the gathering of Israel. And set watchmen round about and build a tower that one may overlook the land round about. Now, going back to verse 2, he cultivated it, the vineyard, clearing it of stones and planted it with choice vines, and he built a watchtower in the midst and hewed for it a wine press as well. Then he expected, <clears throat> expected it to yield grapes. So back to DNC 101, verse 45, and build a tower or a watchtower that one may overlook the land round about to be a watchman upon the tower, that mine olive trees may not be broken down when the enemy shall come to spoil and take upon themselves the fruit of my vineyard. So, so far in this pair of the redemption of Zion, we have that portion, which is the establishment of Zion. And that will continue for one more verse. And now the servants of the nobleman went and did as the Lord commanded them and planted the olive trees and built a hedge round about and set watchmen and began to build a tower. Or in other words, back in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 2, he cultivated it, clearing it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in its midst and hewed for it a wine press as well, 
Then he expected it to yield grapes, but it produced wild grapes. Verse 47, Indian C101. And while they were yet laying the foundation thereof, they began to say among themselves, and what need hath my Lord of this tower? Now, what does the tower represent? Well, if you start at the bottom level of the tower and you're going to the top, what are you doing? You're ascending. The tower represents the responsibility of leadership to enter into the new and everlasting covenant, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into the rest of the Lord, that they might be there to help others do the exact same thing and point the way having previously done it themselves. But in verse 47, we have those uh, appointed to leadership under Joseph Smith becoming lazy. And verse 48, and consulted for a long time, saying among themselves, what need hath my Lord of this tower, seeing this is a time of peace? You know, everything is okay. Joseph is with us. You know, there is no need to devote one's entire life to Christ and the path of ascension for all is well in Zion. And verse 49, um, we see that there are not only a level of uh, religious leadership who are lazy, but there are also a level who are wicked. Verse 49, might not this money be given to the exchangers for there is no need of these things. Well, in the parable of redemption of Zion, money represents an investment of work and effort and dedication. So instead of investing their work and effort and dedication in Jesus Christ and the covenant and the covenant path that he extends to them, the doctrine of Christ, they invested their time and energy and work in the exchangers or in Babylon. Verse 50, and while they were at variance one with another, they became very slothful and they hearkened not unto the commandments of their Lord. And the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge. The hedge, what is the hedge? The hedge is the members of the church entering into and living the new and everlasting covenant. For if the members of the church under Joseph had entered into the new and everlasting covenant and lived it with integrity, it would have not mattered the strength of the enemy that came to break down the hedge and destroy the olive trees. They would have been thwarted, but membership and leadership would not kind of like the children of Israel under Moses who were given the opportunity to enter into the rest of the Lord, but instead they hardened their hearts and would not. And the, the metaphor extends to us today. The opportunity is again extended to God's people to enter into the new and everlasting covenant and become the strength of his house. And to hearken to the voice of the Spirit to become wise virgins. But most refuse the extension of the covenant by their king. And in so doing, reject their God and refuse to become his people. Verse 51. And the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge. And the servants of the noblemen arose and were frightened and fled. 
and the enemy destroyed their works and broke down the olive trees. Now behold, the nobleman, the Lord of the vineyard, called upon his servants and said unto them, Why, what is the cause of this great evil? Ought ye not to have done even as I commanded you? And after ye had planted the, the vineyard and built the hedge round about and set watchmen upon the walls thereof, built the tower also and set watchmen upon the tower, meaning that they didn't build the tower or they did not personally apply themselves to the doctrine of Christ. <coughs> And watched my, for my vineyard, and not have fallen asleep, lest the enemy should have come upon you. And behold, the watchman upon the tower would have seen the enemy while he was yet afar off. And then you could have made ready and kept the enemy from breaking down the hedge thereof, and saved my vineyard from the hands of the destroyer, or the sacking of the doctrine of Christ from the mainstream teachings. And he who set himself upon a tower, encouraging um, those in the vineyard to trust in government and in medical authorities and upon the arm of flesh, which is designed to destroy and not save, but under the guise of being spared. And in 3 Nephi 16, verse 10, we have a different account of this same event. When Christ is prophesying to the Nephites about the Latter-day Saints. In fact, Christ declares that the father commanded him to declare the following prophecy about the Latter-day Saints unto the Nephites. And thus commanded the father that I should say unto you, and on this scale of authoritative statements, it can get no more authoritative than Christ declaring that the Father commanded him to declare, and then whatever comes next. And here's what comes next. At that day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel. Well, the term Gentiles is used in the Book of Mormon, except a handful of times when it's talking about a Gentile nation, North America. When it's talking about a Gentile people, that's referring specifically to the Latter-day Saints. And what other people in the last days have had access to the fullness of the gospel? The fullness of the gospel had only been restored one time in the last days, and that was by Joseph Smith um, in 1829. And we had the fullness from 1829 to 1834 before we were demoted to the preparatory gospel. So there are no other candidates. There is no other period of time when the fullness of the gospel in the last days, you know, had been restored. And shall reject the fullness of my gospel and shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations and above all the people of the whole earth and shall be filled with all manner of lyings and deceits and of mischiefs and all manner of hypocrisy and murders and priestcrafts and whoredoms and of secret abominations. And if they shall do all these things and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. And all this was fulfilled in the days of Joseph Smith's first ministry. But in verse 13, we have an allusion to Joseph Smith's second ministry. And when the heavens would again be opened by Joseph and a new dispensation established, even the dispensation of the fullness of times. But if the LDS Gentiles, will repent and return unto me 
And the way that we repent is reiterated and recapitulated by Book of Mormon prophets that we have to enter into the new covenant. Not only repent of our you know, immediate sins, but also offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Then they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. Well, what is one of the things that happens when we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost? The Gentile blood is burned out and we become blood Israel. And we have access to that level of revelation whereby we might be instructed about entering into the rest of the Lord and thus qualified to enter into the gates of New Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter five, verse five. Let me now inform you what I will do to my vineyard. I will have its hedge removed. Well, didn't we read in DNC 101? Verse 51, and the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge. And the servants of the nobleman arose and were frightened and fled. And the enemy destroyed their works and broke down the olive trees. Verse 5 again in Isaiah 5. Let me now inform you what I will do to my vineyard. I will have its hedge removed and let it be burned. And I will have its wall broken through and let it be trampled. I will make it a desolation. It shall neither be pruned nor hoed, but briars and thorns shall overgrow it. Moreover, I will forbid the rain clouds to rain on it. The vineyard of Jehovah of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah his cherished grove. Now, Israel and Judah, you know, a metaphor for the Lord's end time covenant people. Um, in this instance, having a direct reference to Latter-day Saints in our generation. And the people of Judah, his cherished grove. He expected justice, but there was injustice. He expected righteousness, but there was an outcry. Woe to those who join house to house and link field to field till no place is left. And you are restricted to dwell in the centers of the land. Jehovah of hosts spoke, this is my hearing. Surely many buildings shall lie desolate, large and fine houses unoccupied. A 10 acre vineyard shall yield but one bath of a homer of seed, um, So the idea being that those crops that are planted will not even yield enough to replace the seed that was planted. So again, um, we have covenant curse coming upon God's people. Um, Their houses lay desolate. Why do they lay desolate? Because the inhabitants have been destroyed. Or 
as we read in DNC 101 for 66, while the tares shall be bound in bundles, their bands made strong that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. Um, there will be a state of famine and hardship. Verse 11, woe to those who go <coughs> after liquor as soon as they arise in the morning, who linger at night parties inflamed by wine. They are harps and lyres, or there are harps and lyres, drums, flutes, and wine at their banquets, but they regard not what Jehovah does, nor perceive his hand at work. Cross-reference, 2 Nephi 28. Verse 21, and others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security. This lulling away into carnal security is part of what it means to be drunken. That they will say all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth. All is well, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. And verse 24, therefore woe be unto him that is it ease in Zion. Verse 26, woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men, denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. If we go to DNC 112, again, talking about this separation of wheat and tares. Verses 23 through 26. Verily, verily, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness the minds of people, and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, and of lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house shall it begin. My house not meaning an LDS temple, but as defined in DNC 101 in the parable of redemption of Zion, the Lord's house being defined as the Lord's covenant people in the end times or Latter-day Saints. In reality, all those members of restoration branches. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. What does it mean to blaspheme against God in the midst of his house? It means those who are supposed to be his covenant people who claim to have power and authority from God, who know full well they do not but yet they proclaim it. They will be the first to be cut down and hewn down at the separation of wheat and tares. Woe to those back in Isaiah 5 verse 11 who go after liquor as soon as they arise in the morning or otherwise strong delusion who prefer to believe a lie 
rather than the uncomfortable truth that comes by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. There are harps and lyres, drums, flutes, and wine at the banquets, but they regard not what Jehovah does, nor perceive his hands at work. His hands being both the Lord's right hand, the end time servant, and the Lord's left hand, the king of Assyria. In fact, the Latter-day Saints conflate them, believing that the work of destruction of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, is God's salvation. And the declaration of the new and everlasting covenant and the Lord's end time servant and his servants come of evil. Verse 13, therefore are my people exiled without knowing why. Their best men die of famine. Their masses perish with thirst. How many good people do you know who are angry because um, the doctrine of Christ is declared to them and who maintain if it was anything that we needed to know, it would be given to us by our church leaders. And since it is not, we do not need it. And what either comes more or less than is declared over the pulpit cometh of evil, even if it's the main theme of the Book of Mormon. And that which is spoken by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Verse 14. Sheol becomes ravenous, opening its mouth insatiably. Into it descend their elite with the masses, their boisterous ones and revelers. Or in other words, DNC 112. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me. And have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. There's a cross-reference, 1 Nephi chapter 14. Verse 3. And that great pit which hath been digged for them, God's people, particularly the Latter-day Saints, by that great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his children, that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. Yea, that great pit which, he ha- which hath been digged for the destruction of men shall be filled by those who digged it. Unto their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God, not to the destruction of the soul, save it be the casting of it into that hell which hath no end. For behold, this is according to the captivity of the devil, and also according to the justice of God upon all those who will work wickedness and abominations. And it came to pass that the angel spake unto me, Nephi, saying, Thou hast beheld that if the Gentiles, or if the members of the LDS church, repent through the new and everlasting covenant, it shall be well with them, for they will qualify for deliverance from destruction and from bondage. And thou also knowest concerning the covenants of the Lord unto the house of Israel, And thou also hast heard that whoso repenteth not must perish or will be found among the chaff and the tares whose bands will be made strong. Therefore, woe be unto the Gentiles or the members of the LDS church, if it so be that they harden their hearts against the Lamb of God. For the time cometh, saith the Lamb of God, that I will work a great and marvelous work among the children of men, a work which shall be everlasting either on the one hand or on the other. 
either to the convincing them unto peace and eternal life through the doctrine of Christ or unto the deliverance of them to the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their minds unto their being brought down into captivity and also unto destruction, both temporally and spiritually, according to the captivity of the devil of which I have spoken. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 15. Mankind is brought low when men debase themselves, causing the eyes of the high-minded to be downcast. But Jehovah of hosts will be exalted by a just judgment. The holy God show himself holy by his righteousness. All right. Righteousness also being a metaphor for the Lord's end-time servant who he sends to prepare the way before him to open again the heavens and to declare again the doctrine of Christ to the people. Verse 17, then shall his sheep feed in their pasture and proselytes eat in the ruins of the affluent. And as a cross-reference, 2 Nephi 28 again. Verse 14, talking about the Latter-day Saints. They wear stiff necks and high heads. And because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few, who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. Well, these humble followers of Christ who have erred because they've been taught by the precepts of men, when they hear those speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, God's people know his voice and they will hearken to the voice of the Spirit Therefore, they will be led out of the path of destruction and from bondage and onto the end time exodus. Verse 17 in Isaiah 5. Then shall his sheep feed in their pasture and proselytes eat in the ruins of the affluent. Woe to those drawn to sin by vain attachments, hitched to transgression like a trailer, who think, let him quickly speed up his work so we may see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel soon come to pass, and we will know, or those who demand a sign. Woe to those who suppose what is evil to be good and what is good to be evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. They make bitterness sweet and sweet bitter. As a cross-reference, 2 Nephi 28, verse 15. Oh, the wise and the learned and the rich that are puffed up in the pride of their hearts. And all those who preach false doctrines and all those who commit whoredoms and pervert the right ways of the Lord. Again, talking about the Latter-day Saints. Woe, 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 or covenant curse times three. Be unto them, saith the Lord God Almighty, for they shall be thrust down to hell. Woe unto them that turn aside the just for a thing of naught and revile against that which is good and say that it is of no worth. For the day shall come that the Lord God will speedily visit the inhabitants of the earth. And in that day that they are fully ripe in iniquity, they shall perish. And second Nephi nine. Verses 28 and 29. Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men, 
When they are learned, they think they are wise and they hearken not unto the counsel of God. For they set it aside, supposing that they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness and it profiteth them not and they shall perish. But we are told that we should trust in the arm of flesh, in medical authorities and in government. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. And verse 42. And whoso knocketh to him will he open. And the wise and the learned and they that are rich who are puffed up because of their learning and their wisdom and their riches. Yea, they are they whom he despiseth. And save they shall cast these things away and consider themselves fools before God. And come down in the depths of humility. He will not open unto them. Isaiah 5 verse 20, woe to those who suppose what is evil to be good and what is good to be evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. They make bitterness sweet and sweet bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own view. Woe to those who are valiant at drinking wine and champions at mixing liquor. As a cross reference, Isaiah 28 verses 1 and 7. Woe to the garlands of glory of the drunkards of Ephraim. Again, talking about the Latter-day Saints who revel in delusion and in the pronouncements of false prophets. Their crowning splendor has become as fading wreaths on the heads of the opulent overcome with wine. These two have indulged in wine and are giddy with strong drink. Priests and prophets have gone astray through liquor. They're intoxicated with wine and stagger because of strong drink. They err as seers. They blunder in their decisions. Isaiah 5 verse 23. Woe to those who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny the justice of the innocent. As a blazing fire consumes the stubble. Again, the blazing fire being a metaphor for the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And as dry weeds wane before the flame. So shall the roots decay away and their blossoms fly up like dust. They have despised the law of Jehovah of hosts and reviled the words of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of Jehovah is kindled. Anger, again, representing the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and his destructive force in destroying most of the world's population. Therefore, the anger of Jehovah is kindled against his people. He draws back his hand against them, his left hand, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and strikes them. The mountains quake and their corpses lie like litter about the streets. Yet all, yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. There's a cross reference in C45. Uh, hearkening back to the middle of 25, the mountains quake and their corpses lie like litter about the streets. Verse 30. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be men standing in that generation that shall not pass until they shall see an overflowing scourge. For desolating sickness shall cover the land, but my disciples shall stand in holy places, 
and shall not be moved, but among the wicked men shall lift up their voices and curse God and die. And there shall be earthquakes also in diverse places and many desolations, yet men will harden their hearts against me. They will take up the sword one against another and they will kill one another. Isaiah 5.25, therefore the anger of Jehovah is kindled against his people. He draws back his hand against them and strikes them. The mountains quake and their corpses lie like litter about the streets. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. He raises an ensign to distant nations. Now there are two ensigns in Isaiah, the Lord's end time servant and the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. This is the ensign of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and summons them from beyond the horizon. Forthwith they come swiftly and speedily, or there will be an alliance of nations, all combined to destroy the world. Not one of them grows weary. Now, verse 27 talks about the destructive power and forces of the king of Babylon, king of Assyria. And this is the exact opposite of the Lord's people. Not one of them grows weary for God's covenant people who do not enter into covenant with him do grow weary, nor does any stumble, but God's people stumble. They do not drowse nor fall asleep. DNC 101. Talking to religious leadership. Verse 53. And watched from my vineyard and not have fallen asleep lest the enemy should come upon you. Back in verse 27 of Isaiah 5, they do not drowse or fall asleep. Their waist belt come not loose, nor their sandal um, straps undone. Their arrows are sharp and their bows are strong. The tread of their war horses resemble flint. Their chariot wheels resolve like a whirlwind. They have the roar of a lion. They are aroused like young lions. Growling, they seize prey and escape and none comes to rescue. He shall be stirred up against them in that day, even as the sea is stirred up. You know, he being the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, against God's people who should have known better, who should have repented and returned, but would not. And should one look to the land, there too shall be a distressing gloom. For the daylight shall be darkened by an overhanging mist. So, I add my testimony to Isaiah's that the generation in which we now live is the fullness of the time of the Gentiles, that the heavens have again been opened and that by entering into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, we might qualify as the strength of the Lord's house and on the eve of destruction be delivered from bondage, which is quickly coming upon us that we not only are not destroyed, but are prospered in the land and may participate in the building up of the city of New Jerusalem, if we will. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.